Our Old Testament scripture passage tonight is Psalm 110. We found your pew Bible on page 951. Psalm 110. Before we read read God's word, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you bless the reading and preaching of your word? Uh, May you bless the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts. Lord, may it bring glory to Jesus Christ. May he be seen and known and loved. It's in Christ's name, amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Psalm 110 of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. New Testament scripture passage is Romans chapter 1, the first seven verses. We found in your pew Bible on page 1746. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Belgic Confession, Article 19. Belgic Confession, Article 19, can be found in the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 78. Entitled, The Union and Distinction of the Two Natures in the Person of Christ. Remember, this Belgic Confession of Faith is what we, as a Christian Reformed Church, um, appeal to as what the Scriptures teach. And the first words of the Belgic Confession of Faith are meant to be a pattern for all the articles that we all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth. And so... Article 19 says, 
We believe that by this conception, the person of the Son is inseparably united and connected with the human nature. So that there are not two sons of God, nor two persons, but two natures united in one single person. Yet each nature retains its own distinct properties. As then, the divine nature has always remained uncreated, without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth, so also has the human nature not lost its properties, but remained a creature, having beginning of days, being a finite nature, and retaining all the properties of a real body. And though he has, by his resurrection, given immortality to the same, nevertheless, he has not changed the reality of his human nature, for as much as our salvation and resurrection also depend on the reality of his body. But these two natures are so closely united in one person that they were not separated even by his death. Therefore, that which he, when dying, commended into the hands of his father was a real human spirit departing from his body. But in the meantime, the divine nature always remained united with the human, even when he lay in the grave. And the Godhead did not cease to be in him any more than it did when he was an infant, though it did not do so clearly, did, but it did not so clearly manifest itself for a while. Wherefore, we confess that he is very God and very man, and very God by his power to conquer death, and very man that he might die for us according to the infirmity of his flesh." It's the teaching of the confession, what we believe in the heart and say with the mouth. The uh, technical term for what this article is describing is called the hypostatic union. Now, I always thought that was a really kind of cool phrase. You know, it's something that you drop around your family, so that they know that, you know, you actually learned something in seminary. Um, But I thought it was even cooler when I listened to a Christian hip-hop song called The Hypostatic Union. So if you don't mind, I'm going to share with you two verses from this song by a rap artist named Shy Lin. The first I'm going to share with you before the sermon, okay? And it's about Christ's divine nature. The second I'm going to share with you after the sermon as a closing illustration, and it's about his human nature. So, Shylin's song, The Hypostatic Union, goes like this. I know it's deep, but when you peep, you'll find it's dense. Jesus, both God and man, 200%. Fully divine, fully human, introducing the hypostatic union. The Son of God, 100% divinity. Self-existent second person of the Trinity. Magisterial, imperial at the helm. Infinitely transcending this material realm. He's so original. Getting to know him is pivotal. Behold the invincible, prototypical, holy principle. Possessor of all divine attributes, the omnis, wisdom, grace, beauty, love, wrath, and truth. He's the one that all creation was made through. And by him the earth's foundation was laid too. Ask the angels, they saw it on pay-per-view. 
created Satan too. Matter of fact, he created you. And nothing can escape Jesus' sovereign rule from the farthest galaxy to the smallest molecule. So who deserves to gain fame? By the word of his power, the universe is maintained. In other words, put the cosmos back on the shelf. Without Christ, reality would collapse on itself. Jesus, the marvelous author of all consciousness, beyond what the sharpest biologist acknowledges, he needs no archaeologists or smart apologists. He sees all hearts, omnipresent cardiologist, master of logic, macrocosmic novelist, Following any other God is just preposterous. I know it's deep, but when you peep, you'll find it's dense. Jesus, both God and man, 200%. Fully divine, fully human. Introducing the hypostatic union. You got to go listen to it. It's a lot better than me trying to just say it. But there's a lot of good stuff there. And so, our theme tonight, if Christ is not fully God and fully human, we are still in our sin. I did that thing where I started getting really small at the end to hopefully get it in. All right, so we've got three points tonight. The first is divine nature, human nature. The second is Not mixed, nor divided. And the third is, for this reason. All right. Let's start with this first point here. Um... What this doctrine of the hypostatic union is trying to do is in much the same way what the church struggled with when it came to the doctrine of the Trinity. So the Old Testament says, one God. Right? And there might be some hints that there is a plurality in this divinity, but it's, it's not clearly seen in the Old Testament what is uh, what is in shadows in the Old Testament, comes into full view in the New Testament. So, then in the New Testament, we experience the fact that Jesus is called God, and then the Holy Spirit is called God. So there's not necessarily one particular proof text that you could go to that is going to give you a word-for-word explanation of the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is what the church came up with when it wrestled with the variety of scriptures and truths that were written down in God's word. There is one God, but this one God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And so then, then comes more precisely wrestling with the nature, the character of Jesus in the incarnation. So we've established that there is someone called the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, begotten, not made, before all ages, through whom all creation came to be, right? But there is this conundrum that we have to wrestle with and deal with. The second person, the Son of God, also became a man. And this man had a birthday, and his name was Jesus of Nazareth. And so how do we relate these two things? How do we understand that? There's one person, two natures. And so there's a distinction between these two phrases, person and nature. And that's how the, the early church came to wrestle with this idea of Jesus who is God and has a divine nature. There's also human and has a human nature. And much like the doctrine of the Trinity came to be because there were false teachings being spread and spoken and, and come up with about the three persons of the Trinity like modalism. This is just God the Father who puts on the mask of the Son and then who puts on the mask of the Holy Spirit. They're not distinct persons. They're the same person, right? Or um, other varieties of Trinitarian heresies. The same thing happened when it came to understanding and grasping this reality that's pointed to in Scripture. And that's why the two passages I chose were Psalm 110 because Jesus himself goes to Psalm 110 when he's confronted with the question of his origin, right? He asks the, the people who come to test him, the Pharisees, who is the Savior? Who is the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ? Who is the Christ? And it was the popular understanding amongst the Jews at that time that the Christ was a son of David. Right? That he was a man, a Jew, descended from the line of David. And that's not wrong. It's not wrong. But it's not the whole picture. And so Jesus is pushing at that their shallow view of the Messiah. It's not a full-ord view of the Messiah. And so he says, well, if the Messiah is the son of David, why in Psalm 110, which is the psalm of David, written by David himself, does he say, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, says to my Lord, who is David saying is my Lord? 
Well, it's the one that sits at the right hand of God until all his enemies are a footstool for his feet. And the numerous quotations from the New Testament that draw from Psalm 110.1 tell us that David's Lord is also his descendant, Jesus. And that's because Jesus precedes David even though Jesus was born after David. Think about it. What Jesus is telling those who are coming to challenge him and to give him a critique is that you are looking for a plain and simple Jew from the line of David who will be your earthly king and who will make everything right for you, get rid of those Romans. But what you don't realize is the Messiah is not only a son of David. He is the Lord of David. He is the second person of the Trinity, son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's why Article 19 after talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we believe that by this conception, that is the conception of Mary, the, 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 uh, the conception that happened with her, the person of the Son is inseparably united and connected with the human nature. So that there are not two sons of God, as if to say that the second person of the Holy Trinity is the Son of God, and that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, the human nature that is Jesus of Nazareth, no, they're the one Son of God. Nor are there two persons, but two natures united in one single person. Yet each nature retains its own distinct properties. Two natures, the man nature, human nature, the God nature, One person, Jesus Christ. It says of this divine nature, the one that Jesus was pointed to when he said, David says to me, calls me Lord. As in the divine nature has always remained uncreated, without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth, so also has a human nature not lost its properties but remained a creature having beginning of days, being a finite nature, and retaining all the properties of a real body. This is why I also wanted to mention Romans chapter 1. Paul opens Romans chapter 1 with a very important couple verses that talk about this distinction between the divine nature and the human nature of Jesus. He says in verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Three, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. I actually think a better translation there is, and who as to his spirit was declared with power to be the Son of God 
because what, Christ, what Paul is talking about there is according to his human nature, he is a descendant of David, but according to his divine nature, the declaration that God makes over him at, at his baptism is that he is God's son. Not by nature of his baptism, but by nature of his divine nature. Therefore, Article 19 says, of the human nature, it not lost its properties, remained a creature, having beginning of days, being a finite nature, and retaining all the properties of a real body, with this clarification. And though he has by his resurrection given immortality to the same, nevertheless he has not changed the reality of his human nature. Some people looked at the moment of the resurrection and believed that some sort of shift or change happened there, right? But here is what we have to think about when we think about that. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has received his resurrection body, we are promised the same. So the question we have to ask is, When we receive our resurrection bodies, does that mean that we stop being human? No, it doesn't. We do not stop being human because we enter into a glorified state. And neither did the human nature of Jesus cease from being human when through his death he received a resurrection of life and glory and became the first fruits of the resurrection that is to come. So, we move on then to the second point, uh, which I believe is the attempt uh, of the, this article Talk about the variety of different heresies that popped up when it came to the two natures one person. Not mixed, not divided. It says, but these two natures are so closely united in one person that they were not separated even by his death. Therefore, that which he, when dying, committed into the hands of his father was a real human spirit departing from his body. But in the meantime, the divine nature always remained united with the human, even when he lay in the grave. And the Godhead did not cease to be in him any more than it did when he was an infant, though it did not so clearly manifest itself. For a while, the uh, church met the Council of Chalcedon to deal with a variety of heresies that were popping up about this understanding of the two natures of Christ and the one person. 
I don't think I spelled that right, but it's Eutychus, Nestorius, Apollinarianism, a variety of different um, heretical views had risen up in the church, and so they gathered to uh, make a clear definition and statement about what was orthodoxy. And uh, I could explain all these to you, but I think it's better for me to simply summarize what the uh, variety of Christological heresies are when it comes to the hypostatic union, okay? And that is, if there's any mixing, dividing, confusing of the two natures. And so, one of these gentlemen believed that when the divine nature took on the human nature, that they became some sort of blended, um, new kind of nature, it's not a divine nature and a human nature in one person. It's a whatever the blended combination of divine and human nature is, right? Um, some people believe that the divine nature gave some of its attributes to the human nature. And so now the human nature is omnipresent. Not all of the attributes, the divine attributes, have been given to the human nature, but some of them. So the human nature is now omnipresent. Um, maybe it's all-knowing as well. Um, some of these Christological heresies um, believe that Jesus only appeared to have a human nature, but did not actually have a human nature. It was divine. Um, some people believe that the human nature was like a drop of oil in an ocean swallowed up by the divine nature. Do you know what I'm saying? What the early church, the Council of Chalcedon, determined was that there is the divine nature and the human nature in the one person, Jesus, but they are not mixed, they are not confused, they are not divided. Actually, you know what's better? I'll probably just read the Chalcedonian definition for you. How about that? Okay. The Chalcedonian definition states this. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead, and at the same time of one substance with us as regards his manhood. Like us in all respects, apart from sin. As regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages. But yet as regards his manhood, begotten. For us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten. Recognized in two natures. And here's the important words without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to, to form one person and substance, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son, 
and only, and only begotten God the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. Even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of him, and our Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us, and the creed of the fathers has handed down to us. I know that's a mouthful, but it's important for us to understand that Jesus is fully God, fully human, truly God, truly human. There's no mixing, there's no amalgamation, there's no confusion of the two natures in Jesus, except he is not two persons, the divine person and the human person. He is the one person, Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully divine, fully human. And maybe you're saying at this point, Carrie, that's all fine and dandy, but I mean, why, why is that important? Why, why is it important that we understand all this? Well, luckily for us, the Belgic Confession tells us why it's important. It says, and though he has by his resurrection given mortality to the same, nevertheless, he has not changed the reality of his human nature. For as much as our salvation and resurrection also depend on the reality of his body. But it also says, wherefore we confess that he is very God and very man. God, by his power to conquer death, and very man, that he might die for us. According to the infirmity of his flesh. That's why our theme tonight is if Christ is not fully God and fully human, we are still in our sin. It means that our salvation has not been accomplished. It means that we are not promised resurrection because Christ must be fully man in order to purchase our salvation and our resurrection. But he must be fully God in order to conquer death. And I think you know where this is going because the Belgic Confession of Faith was written before the Heidelberg Catechism. And it very well might have been the case that those who were writing the Heidelberg Catechism leaned on the Belgic Confession to understand how they should apply these doctrines. And one of the best Lord's Days of the Heidelberg Catechism is, in my opinion, Lord's Day 6. We're told, why must he, this mediator and deliverer, be a true and righteous man? And the answer is because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should make satisfaction for sin. 
and because one who himself is a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Now, why must he withal be true God? That by the power of his Godhead he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath, and that he might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who is at once true God and true righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who has made unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And whence do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, afterwards published by the holy patriarchs and prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and lastly fulfilled by his only begotten Son. You see, what we don't understand, and we sometimes lose sight of, and sometimes we focus too much on Christ's divinity and lose sight of his humanity. Sometimes we lose, look too closely at his humanity and lose sight of his divinity. But the great and wonderful marvel and mystery and glory is that he's both of these at the same time. And what is so wonderful and what is so glorious about this gospel, this salvation which is revealed to us, is that if he's not both of these fully at the same time, we cannot be saved. God, man. Without this truth, the two natures of Christ, the divine and the human, in the one person, Jesus. We have no salvation. We have no resurrection. We are still facing death. Eternal death. But thanks be to God that in Jesus Christ, he saved us from these wretched bodies of ours brought us into the kingdom of his son so I'm going to close with what I promised that second verse of Shiloh's song the hypostatic union the first one was about Christ's divinity his divine nature well this second verse just as you might understand about the hypostatic union is about his humanity. So, listen up. I know it's deep, but when you peep, you'll find it's dense. Jesus, both God and man, 200%. Fully divine, fully human, introducing the hypostatic union. The Son of Man, 100% humanity. The mind stretches to understand how it can be. You gotta see what he does Becoming what he wasn't while never ceasing to be what he was. Is your mind flipping? That got you tripping? Me too. But the scripture is true, Pete Philippians 2. By faith we believe this amazing Jesus who made Uranus and Venus became a fetus. It's such a secret that few, if anybody knew it, 
Months later, he's covered in amniotic fluid. The subject of the gospel's praise of apostles armed with eye sockets, armpits, and nostrils. Who is this Jesus? God clothed in human weakness. Super sweetness and peace for the true believers. See the one who never tires, knocked out sleeping. See the source of eternal joy, weeping. Which one can explain how the son, abundant with fame, who made thunder and rain, now has hunger pains? See the creator of water become thirsty. On the cross when he saves from the slaughter the unworthy. My awe should be sky high and I ought to just cry why. With water in my eyes when the author of life dies. Raised on the third, God-man, soul-seeker. The hypostatic union, it gets no deeper. I know it's deep, but when you peep, you'll find it's dense. Jesus, both God and man, 200%. Fully divine, fully human. Introducing the hypostatic union. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. And thank you for salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, second person of the Holy Trinity, took on flesh, dwelt among us, lived the righteous life in our place, died the death of a sinner in our place, was raised three days later so that we may know the resurrection awaits us who are in him and who is The creator of the universe who calls all the stars by names, yet is in a human body, standing in your presence this very moment, interceding for us, and as a pledge that we, although marred by sin, we who are made in your image, truly do belong in your presence. And that is the destiny that awaits us because of Christ, your Son, fully divine, fully human, in the hypostatic union. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you sing with me?